Hello, and welcome to Line One, your health connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Educators have been dealing with this pandemic for almost two years, but the latest COVID surge is presenting new challenges. Line One has committed to encourage Alaskans to get vaccinated against COVID-19, in part by having conversations with community partners, highlighting their efforts. On today's installment of Alaska Public Media's Talk to Your Neighbor series, we will speak with two educators within the Anchorage School District about the impact of the pandemic on the schools and how they're working to encourage vaccinations. Joining us today is Mr. Danielle Kemp. He is the co-founder and president of the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators. He is also a music teacher at Russian Jack Elementary School. He holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in music education from Jackson State University and a master's degree in secondary education from the University of Alaska Southeast. Also joining us is Ms. Rosalind Grady-Weich. She is the co-founder and vice president of the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators. She is a paraeducator at Mountain View Elementary School Special Education Program. She is currently attending Grand Canyon University, pursuing a dual degree in elementary education and special education K through 12. Mr. Kemp and Ms. Grady White, welcome. Hello. Hey. Hello, hello. And you can also join our conversation. Do you have a personal story to share about having COVID or getting the vaccine? Are you a teacher that has had to change paths due to the shortage of staff in your school or personal illness? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Well, hello again. I think it's going to be interesting to get to know different community organizations through this series of conversations that we have with community partners. So I would love to learn about the efforts that you have encouraging the vaccine and just your mission. So can you tell me about the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators and just remind us all what BIPOC stands for? Okay. Um, once again, thank you, Jillian, for, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Woodruff, for having us on today. I have so many so, names. <laughs> <laughs> um, happy Founders Day, by the way. We'll get maybe into that later. Um, so the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators, uh, the ACBE, so the, the BIPOC stands for Black, Indigenous, and Other People of Color. Our mission is to champion uh, equity and education for communities of color in order to achieve equality with our overarching vision being equity until equality equality is the ultimate goal but you have to use the tool of equity in order to get there so we have three priorities in our organization Uh, the health and safety of uh, educators students and communities of color equity and academic opportunity and curriculum, and hiring and retention of educators of color. As far as what led to our organization being founded, which, by the way, we're going to come up on our one-year anniversary next month in February, Black History Month, 
Shout out. Um, what led to the uh, our organization being founded is that we saw a gap. Roz and I, we saw a gap in the needs of educators of color. We felt like what we were asking for, what we were demanding, wasn't being met. What we were concerned about wasn't really the top priority. And so we decided to make it ours, create an organization that would speak to the needs of communities of color, educators of color, children of, children of color, and build that, build upon it, and fill the gap that was um, just getting wider and wider and wider. And as far as how we address uh, equity in education and health, well, we, we have five ways of doing that. So first one is that we engage with our community by partnering with other organizations, uh, with grants and community service opportunities. The second is engaging with school board. We, if you've ever listened to school board meetings, you'll hear me all the time. You know my, you know, my opening line, hi, my name is Danielle Kemp. I'm a retired Army combat officer, blah, 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 right? So making sure that we get verbal, written, and personal testimony. Third is uh, government. We are engaged with local government leaders like the assembly. Uh, we're also engaged with um, state government as well as federal. Um, so through testimonies, letters, and boots on the ground and relationship building. Fourth is education. We engage with uh, engaging and supporting Alaskan youth through our Saturday Morning Reads program, uh, and, which you are familiar with, school supplies, uh, being a voice in BIPOC education, and fifth is being an online presence. So engaging with our allies and um, fighting dis misinformation and the lies that you see all everywhere and celebrating our BIPOC communities through uh, online platforms. So that's, that's how we do that. Thank you. I have a follow-up question because you discussed there being this gap out there uh, that led to the need for your uh, organization. There are various other minority groups or organizations that focus on education, like the education branch of the NAACP or the education branch of Alaska Black Caucus. So how do you distinguish yourself from these organizations and and what gap are you feeling, feeling that maybe they're not? Well, first off, uh, more is better. So having more organizations like us is better in, in the ether, in the sphere of everything going on. The thing that distinguishes us um, is that we were founded for education you know, like by educators, for educators of color. And so we are in the trenches doing the work. We're in the schools teaching every day. Uh, and we know what the kids are going through because most of us are teachers or educators or nurses in the school system ourselves. We also have kids who are right there. So, um, and we're activists as well, just doing everything that I said about the how we are addressing e equity in education and health. So yeah, we are the boots on the ground 
strictly de- dedicated to the concerns of educators of color, students of color, and the parents. So the more voices there are out there addressing this subject, the more work that can get done. Do you work with these other organizations, or do you have members that are a part of both organizations? Great question. We, we do. We, we work with various organizations. I'm a member of the NAACP. Um, uh, we have a member or a few members who are members of the uh, Alaska Black Caucus. Uh, we work uh, together. Uh, you have to. You can't be working separately, um, you know, and because that's that house divided sort of thing, right? And so we want to make sure that even though we're a separate organization, we're working together for the same goals, for the same mission which is equity in education. Yes. I think it's also important to note that when like when you bring up the other organizations, they have committees to- towards education, right? And it's very important to note we are strictly education. So any fight that has to deal with education, we're going to be right there forefront. Like like you know, you might have the criminal justice committee, you have the housing committee. So, you know, there's a lot of other focuses that those organizations focus on. We focus strictly on education, whether it's daycare, preschool, elementary, middle, high school, private school, and adult learning. We focus on education. What kind of members are you looking to attract in your organization? You want me to go? Okay. Yeah. We are we looking for all members, um, <laughs> parents, students, community members, um, all voices of all colors. Everybody can be heard. Um, I think it's important to know, like, the definition of co- coalition. It's an alliance for combined action especially a temporary alliance of political parties forming a government or of states, right? So it's literally an alliance, a union, a partnership. Like, we, we just want all voices to be heard. Um, and kids, kids are important. And in, in 2022, kids' voices need to be heard. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that is one of our drives right now is pushing to build our youth committee. Because, you know, we have children, but they do not want to be overused. <laughs> so right. we, we would love to build the youth, the youth portion of our committee because their voices are important. When we move into the school districts and, like, when we, we speak up, I literally listen to what my 14-year-old has to say. I listen to what my 12-year-old has to say. And I take into account what I see going on because I'm actually in the same school as my two preschoolers, and my kindergarten, kindergartner. So that's very important. But then a lot of times I have people say, well, we're not educators. Your voice still matters. If you live in this community, your voice still matters. If you are a parent, your voice still matters. Because that's where our drives were, like, different, but they became cohesive because I was more focused on children and families and parents because I'm, I was a single parent I'm in special education. My children have IEPs. So, like, when educators were informing me of what I could do, I was like, how many other parents know that they have these opportunities? And then 
Danielle was like employees coming from an HBCU, moving up to Alaska because he was prior military. It's like, we need to get more educators of color up here. Not to take away, though, to add to what we have going on. Because I am an ASD student. Um, uh, I would say literally from ninth grade to 12, because I went to various schools but in, in, in primary. But with that being said, I've always seen teachers that didn't look like me. I knew teachers that looked like me, but most of my teachers didn't look like me. And so it's, I think it's very important that the reflection exists. And so we're looking for all members. Again, let me get back to that. All members. All <laughs> members. They could be two to 99. That's a nice idea mm-hmm. to have children learn how to advocate from them for themselves at such a young age. So that's something that you're you're giving to them. And I absolutely agree that diverse educators should teach this diverse population that we have. Are you aware of any statistics of the number of our BIPOC students from Alaska that leave state for higher education and whether or not they return? Because that may be another great place to increase our numbers of BIPOC educators is retaining our BIPOC students Uh-oh. and training them here. Um, Danielle, you want me to go first? Um, you got it. Uh, yeah, let me go ahead and take a crack at this one. <laughs> so that's a big problem in, in this state. We are already hemorrhaging teachers as it is for various reasons, because of the, the the lackluster retirement system that we have. We just talked about last night with, uh, I just was listening at the NEA uh, Alaska session. Um, they have uh, House Bill 220 that's coming up before the, the legislature. So that's important to try to at least gain back some of the losses from retirement systems. So you got that. You have uh, just the poor pay. It's, uh, Compared to the cost of living here in Alaska, as compared to the cost of living elsewhere, uh, and then for teachers of color specifically, um, it how you say when other folks get a cold, you know, black folks, you know, people of color get the flu. That's the same here for teachers of color. In a survey, the Department of Education and Early Development, they had a survey uh, that they just released in April 2021 about retention and and recruitment uh, in Alaska. And if you look at one of the survey results, which talked about why you would want to, um, what what are the major issues that would keep you from, um, from staying? here in Alaska, by far, for teachers of color in that survey, they indicated workplace conditions, i.e. cultural issues. Well, they were felt that, you know, they weren't as comfortable as they should be in their own schools. They weren't taking it seriously. Their concerns um, are not being addressed. Microaggressions uh, are gone unaddressed. Uh, just there, there's racism happening in the schools 
around our students, but also with our teachers as well. So some of our coworkers feel it from higher and from laterally, from sometimes from my own coworkers, uh, unfortunately, and that's not been addressed. So yeah, the number one concern, workplace conditions. The number one concern overall for everyone, of course, uh, you know, salary, benefit. But the thing that specifically affects teachers of color are workplace conditions and cultural. That's a long-term game, but you, we must start now. So that if we can turn that around, then we can start to address these retention issues because right now black folks are sitting at only 1% of all certified teachers in the state of Alaska. Even poorer, our indigenous teachers are only sitting at 1%. And they're like 12% of the, of the population of the ASD, are the student-wise. Uh, and it's just, and it goes down the line with uh, Hispanic teachers um, and Asian teachers. And so, yeah, right now we're sitting at 87% white teachers uh, teaching a population of 62% students of color. That's kind of backwards the way it should be. So those sorts of things play into um you know, teacher retention issues and teacher recruitment issues. So you're looking for the teachers to reflect the student body and be more representative of the student body we have here. Oh, of course. Not only would it help our teachers feel more comfortable, but it would help our students. Study after study after study has shown that when teachers look like, or you have look like the student body, you know, students of color, um, not only does it help those students of color, um, close the achievement and opportunity gap, but it helps the white students too because they need to see um, a, a diverse uh, teacher teacher workforce in front of them so that they can see, oh, it's okay. We have you know someone uh, in person in co of color is in charge in a position of authority, and that's okay. You know they learn how to deal with that thing because that's what they're going to face up there in the real world, and so it needs to start here in school. We all learn from diverse people and diverse experiences. Um, exactly. Ms. Grady Weich, I want to uh, talk to you a bit because you have a new, unique experience of being born and raised here and educated within our system and now working within the education system as a paraeducator. <laughs> Can you tell us about what is a paraeducator? So, a paraeducator is actually a paraprofessional. Um, is going is the I want to say the new professional term for a teacher's assistant. We are more just than just teacher's assistants today. Um, I like to describe it as if my teacher was sick today, I could run her classroom. You know, like it's more than just assisting her. I'm assisting my school. I assist my students. I, it's just more than just a teacher's assistant. And it's funny because sometimes I'll say, I'm just a teacher's assistant. And they'll be like, stop saying that. <laughs> you are an educator. And so I, I, it's paraprofessional, but I am a paraeducator. Um, and, and we would like to normalize that term because there are still, there are, like my my administration, they appreciate me, but there are other administrators that will say she's just a teacher's assistant, and we are more than that. And um, I always say this: put some respect on our name. There you go. <laughs> and 
But with that being said, I never, coming from the district, I tell you, I'll be honest, I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, I'm actually generational, uh, fourth generation hairdresser um, here, Legacy in Anchorage. And, you know, people used to always say, because at one point my mom's shop was called Rosalind, are you just going to be a hairdresser? And I was like, nope, I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> but I do that too. So <laughs> I just, um, what happened, I started off as the district as a cafeteria manager. And as a cafeteria manager, I, I, I just, it was like a random 4.5 hour job. I was pregnant at the time. Why not? I could be with my kids, drop them off, be at the school, then go home, make a little cash, right? Oh, and then, um, but yeah. And so eventually I learned about being, becoming a paraeducator and transferred over to that. And it was, it's been the best thing, best change, and now I'm in school to become a certified teacher. Have you noticed any change in your role during the pandemic? Has your role changed in any way? My role, my role, I feel like our role as educators, we have changed tremendously. We are first responders, I like to say. I feel like a doctor. I feel like a psychiatrist. I feel like a count, like all these things, like our roles have, we're not just educating. Um, we are implementing social skills, life skills, like all types of, of things are going on because of the pandemic. A lot of our children um, were home for a year and then some were online, but some were not. So we went into this new year, like, I want to, I, I would say preschoolers, you know, like the, like, like we have babies, you know, they're not used to the the way that schools move and listening and instruction. So we're just we're more than educators. And um, Danielle's a music teacher, so he can even attest to his role change. Because last year during the pandemic, when we first went back into the schools, we didn't fall into those roles. And Danielle can speak on his role. Yeah. Well. I want to hear more about that as well as how the vaccine changed things when you did go back to school and then when the students were able to get vaccinated. So I want to get more into that when we come back from a short break that we need to take. You are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection. If you have a question or comment for our guests today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752. one 888 353-5752 or in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. After this short break, we will continue our discussion of the vaccination efforts of the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators with guests Mr. Danielle Kemp and Ms. Rosalind Grady-Weich as Line 1 continues statewide. You're listening to Line 1 from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line 1 on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. With Omicron spreading fast, many Alaskans will test positive for COVID-19. If this happens to you, what should you do? Head home and isolate as best as you can away from others. Let your close contacts know they may have been exposed so they can quarantine. Get plenty of rest and stay hydrated. Call your doctor. Treatments may be available, especially if you are at high risk for severe illness. If your symptoms worsen, seek medical help. This message sponsored by the Department of Health and Social Services.
Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. I'm joined by guests Mr. Danielle Kemp and Ms. Rosalind Grady-Weich, who are both founders of the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators and received a grant to encourage vaccination in the BIPOC community of students and educators. Mr. Kemp is a music teacher at Russian Jack Elementary School, and Ms. Grady-Weich is a special education paraeducator at Mountain View Elementary School. Are you an educator with ideas on how to encourage the COVID vaccine in the school system? Do you have a personal story regarding COVID that you would be willing to share? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Mr. Kemp, you were going to tell us about your role as a music teacher and how you may have seen changes during this pandemic over these two years. Oh, well, uh, last year I was a general education teacher. They changed me. All specialists, whether you're an art teacher, a PE teacher, you move from your specialization to assist a homeroom teacher in the elementary because they said uh, nobody was going to go to music, nobody was going to go to like the art classes, they're going to just focus on it six hours a day. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I was doing. I think you're, you're breaking year. up a little, Mr. Kemp, but what I did Uh-oh. get from you is that instead of teaching music, um, you were doing general education throughout the year. So they took all of the special courses out and put you all in the classroom as uh, general ed teachers. So uh, that is quite a change for sure from what your regular routine is. And just like your routine is off, I'm sure that the routine of your students are off. Um, Ms. Grady Weich, are you in the special education classroom? And I'm sure that brought about additional challenges um, having such a derailment of your routine. Yeah, when we first, yes, I am. I'm in special education resource. I handle grades three, four, and five. And when we first came back, it was very hard because we weren't, supposed to do like a lot of um in and out of classrooms because we assist right and then we couldn't do a lot of pulling out of classrooms because we wanted to maintain those bubbles my administration at my school was very serious about maintaining those bubbles because you know at that time we had no idea i think we were just learning we're in the beginning stages but education everybody was just so serious about the whole education aspect and those kids that were losing out um, and but currently, you know, ASD decided, you know, this school year that we were going to start as normal. And, you know, so that meant pulling students out. That meant going into classrooms. And it was a little, you know, it, mind, mindful. It was a little scary in the beginning because um, I happened to be an unvaccinated educator at that time. And so 
you know, I did have the thought process of that. And three weeks later, I ended up catching COVID. And when you say unvaccinated, were you unvaccinated because you were unable to get the vaccine? Or did you not no, want to have I, it? I was unvaccinated because I was scared and a lot of misinformation was going around and I had my thoughts. And so, you know, my bubbles were small, minus that I did hair. I legit knew, you know, my appointments were set. My clients were asked questions, um, you know, so that was different. That was a different world. Then when I wasn't there, I was with my kids. I was with my family. So, you know, it was just a thought process. Literally, I literally was just scared. I was like, where did this vaccine come from out of nowhere? You have so many things going on in America. And we just came up with a vaccine. So I just really was scared. And then the misinformation that was going around. So it wasn't so much that I didn't want to get it. I just wanted to see what came from my peers being vaccinated. And, you know, that was Danielle, my man, um, my auntie actually works for the government. So I just was paying attention, you know, and, and eventually just so happened, I started getting the seeds planted. I was like, okay, I want to go get vaccinated. And literally the week of our rally, I caught COVID and, um, it was life-changing experience. Tell us about your experience with COVID. So um, we had an awesome truth and education rally that weekend, that Saturday. And everything went well. Um, it's filmed. It's on our Facebook. Well, then Sunday, I woke up and I felt like my brain was about to explode. Well, I, I just didn't feel good at all. And I got scared, right? So I was like, I had asked my man, I said, can you please take me to the hospital? Got to the hospital, the doctors were looking at me and they was like, well, we don't see anything COVID noticeable, and but we're still gonna test you. And I was like, okay. And you know, it was the rapid test or the hospital test. So I didn't have to stay there, but they were like, go ahead, go home, you know, be to yourself or whatever. And then we're gonna call you. We'll call you with the results. And you know, it. my head was still pounding. Um, at that point, you know, I was told to take some Tylenol for the pain, the normal doctor stuff, right? And so I had called my sister because she actually came back from Africa and had, had contracted COVID. And so I was just asking her about her symptoms and things that happened with her. And, you know, she was like, well, maybe you don't have it. Maybe you do. That's we were talking. And then all of a sudden I was, <laughs> I was laying there and I got that phone call and, you know, it was early morning. I still hadn't seen the kids wake up yet. Everybody was asleep. It was Sunday. And so when I got it, I kind of just looked at my man and I was like, I didn't have any words. And he was like, you're positive, huh? And I was like, yeah. And so, you know, at that point, he gets up, locks the door and leaves. And I think it was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know, like, I don't know how it feels for a person to find out they have AIDS or like any STDs, but I immediately just felt infected. And then I got worried because then I thought about all the people from the rally. We were masked up at the rally. We were social distanced at the rally, but you still had those times I did photo ops. Still, I don't know if just because I touched somebody, they got it. I don't so know. You're you were concerned know, so all with these... other people getting it from you. Man. Mm -hmm. But then I was 
scared. And you were with your partner at the time. Right. And I mean, I was just, but it it was also a sense of, oh my gosh, I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want them to think I knew. Like all these just different thoughts just started clouding my brain. And I, I think I felt like I got hit like a train probably about an hour, two hours later. It just, it was different. Um, it, those, those were the rough, I think, about four or five days of my life. And that was with, like, you know, and I'm unvaccinated. I, there were times I was crying, calling my mom crying, calling my man crying, because I can't talk to them anymore. I got to FaceTime. I'm FaceTiming the kids. The kids are knocking on my door. I'm 100% mom. When I'm not at work, when I'm not at home, my kids are right up under me. So to be trying to open up a door, you can't come in. Where's my mom? What's mom doing? You know, like FaceTiming. Well, what, you're in the room. Yeah. Why can't we come so in? So you like, were quarantined these- at your home and, and, of course, very difficult to be a mother during that time. Now, when was this that you had this diagnosis? What strain was this? I'm going to assume it was Delta. Okay. Because and- that was around the Delta strand time. Okay. And then how long were you ill? I was ill... For I will say, I will say. Um, so Sunday, Wednesday, I got and I had an appointment for the monoclonal antibody treatment. Um, you know, all the necessary phone calls were made that Sunday. So once my doctor found out, she called, made some phone calls, and then the monoclonal antibody crew somebody called me back and they were like, "Well, we can see you on Wednesday." So deathly ill from Sunday to Wednesday. But then Wednesday, I still was I was still very ill. I had to make myself get up to go to the antibody treatment. Um, I'm I I have very bad bad veins, so they had to do I think it's called intravenous. Like they had to uh, literally shoot me in my stomach, and so um, with the monoclonal antibody treatment, and then and then yes, and then I I feel like I started feeling better by that Saturday, but my body was very tired. And how long were you out of work? I imagine this was difficult because now you're losing time at work. And of course, then this... So I was one of those that, and and thankfully because my kids got sick, I was able to qualify for FMLA. Um, Had I not been, I would have lost out on money. And I was out for the whole 14 days because when I was gone, or the 10 days, but, you know, the weekends added, when I when I was gone, that was still when you would be ten days out and everybody home. So, I was out for a total of two weeks and then went back to work that Monday. Well, very difficult on another number of levels, of course. I'm glad that you've recovered, and I'm assuming that that's led into your efforts here of encouraging others to get the mm-hmm. vaccine. You know, I'm yeah. kind of at the point right now where I think that those that have gotten vaccinated. You know, those that want to get vaccinated, they've already gotten vaccinated and the others do not plan to be vaccinated. But I imagine that you feel differently. You know, Mr. Mr. Kemp, how do you hope to change minds and get more people vaccinated? Uh, Well, the biggest thing that I found out that will change minds, uh, other than having a road to Damascus moment for yourself, is. Um, personal testimony, hearing from actual people who have gone through it, like Roz uh, and and myself. I, I had COVID at the same time, by the way. I, 
Um, but yeah, personal testimony. So that's kind of what we're trying to, the angle we're trying to go at with our um, program is um, through personal stories, through personal accounts, and personal testimonies about getting COVID, catching it, or if they just want to just been vaccinated, it, you know, letting folks know it's okay. Nobody's trying to kill you. We're actually trying to save your life and the life of your loved one. Right. And it's very interesting um, and not uncommon, the guilt uh, that Ms. Grady White experienced, the guilt when she had her you know, diagnosis of COVID. And we find that in so many different diagnoses that are out there that people have this sense of, of guilt that, you know, of course, they should not. Uh, so having those personal stories so people can see how others have felt the same way uh, and then they can see something in that person that maybe they can relate to. And why don't you tell me a bit more about the grant that you've received and how you plan to utilize the gifted resources? So we received $100,000 from the city, um, the Muni by way of United Way. So let me say that all over again. It's the United Way program that received funds through the Muni, I believe, by way of the health department. And we were one of the um, organizations that was able to receive $100,000. With that, we are planning on reaching out to families within Title I communities, because we're educators. And this was this was prior to children being vaccinated when we got this money. So, like, the focus at first was just vaccinating families. But now, I mean, vaccinating parents. But now the focus is vaccinating families if your children are able, which we know that it's, what, infant? Um, five. So to throw that. From five years old. Okay, so infants of five years old can't get vaccinated, and then... Five and above five can and get above. vaccinated. Okay, yes. and can get mm-hmm. vaccinated. So now we can encourage families. Let's go together. Yeah. One of the biggest things, and we are looking for families, for those that are listening, um, I'm yeah. looking for families of um, monolingual or bilingual because I want to. I want them to speak to their cultures. So, like, um, the Polynesians, Asians, Africans, um, LGBTQ, I just, I want their voices to be heard. And when we do these PSAs, I want them to speak in their first language. And we will subtitle English into their language, and, you know, for us, for us to read it. I think that's powerful, you know, because... um, we seem to sometimes push aside those other other uh, people of other countries and other languages and just want to focus on the English American language. No, I want to focus on their language and what they went to in their sound. That's a different connection connectivity to me. So we are in the process of getting that together. We just got a portion of those funds um, this month and or yeah, this month. And so we're, getting the balls rolling. I'm still looking for a couple of people to volunteer with the project, to work with the project. Um, so, And then most definitely biggest thing is looking for these families. And um, I'll be reaching out to other organizations because, like, as you mentioned before, there are organizations that are, um, you know, subjected to that culture. 
also, I know there's a Hmong organization, the Polynesian organization, so eventually I will be reaching out to them. But if they are listening, you can reach out to us too, and we are definitely, I can't wait. I think it's going to be an exciting thing. Um, These will be circulated on Facebook. They'll be circulated. um, Hopefully we can get some radio ads going. Um, And then um, pamphlets. Just all all the things, you know. You talked about um, reaching out to those Title I schools and that that was going to be the focus on vaccinating those families. Do you know mm-hmm. if those in lower-income schools or Title I schools, are they less likely to be vaccinated? And do you think that's due to access so issues? I'm going to let Mr. Kim? Danielle answer that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, statistically, yes. Um, the the general vaccination, when we say vaccination, we either talking about the two shots from Pfizer and Moderna or the one shot from Johnson & Johnson. Um, there is a disproportionality there. The biggest disproportionality is in the boosted shots, uh, where I think a couple of weeks ago, the uh, Department of State Department of Health put out 65% of all white residents uh, here in the state of Alaska have been boosted. That's great. However, only 2% of Pacific Islanders have been boosted. Only 4% of black folks have been boosted. Only 7% of Asian folks. Alaska Natives at only 16%, our indigenous brothers and sisters, only 16% boosted. And we know that that boosted shot is really the key to getting that full immunization to all these upcoming variants. And so we got to get them boosted. We got to get them fully vaccinated. And it's those lower percentages. Um, that's what we find in the Title I schools. So if we get mama and daddy on board, then those kids are going to come too. I know it's scary for a lot of adults. You know, they'll say, well, I'll take a shot before my kids. But if they really understand and our program is effective, then they will, uh, they, will, they will do what they have to do to protect their children, to protect their, uh, their neighborhoods, and to protect the state. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we're community-minded folks, and, you know, we need to boost that mindedness right there. Let's boost some community-mindedness here, uh, along with getting boosted for the vaccination. That's right. That's right. We need to take our last break. And when we come back, let's talk a bit more about your plan and your boots on the ground. We're going to take another short break for the stations down the line. If you have a question or comment for our guests today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752. Or at Anchorage at 907-550-8433. We'll continue our discussion on the COVID vaccination in the community of educators that are Black, Indigenous, or people of color when we return. You're listening to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. 
The Alaska Travel Industry Association provides leadership and guidance to Alaska's tourism businesses for how to operate safely across the state. Members can access updated industry resources related to COVID-19 at alaskatia.org. This message sponsored by ATIA. Welcome back to Line One. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Our guests today are Mr. Danielle Kemp and Ms. Rosalind Grady-Weich, who are the co-founders of the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators. Mr. Kemp is a retired Army combat officer and the president of the organization, as well as an elementary music teacher in the Anchorage School District. Ms. Grady-Weich is the vice president of the organization and a paraeducator in the special education department in the Anchorage School District. You can also join our conversation Do you have a personal story about educating in the time of the COVID pandemic? Are you on the fence about getting the vaccine? Have you had an experience with the Omicron variant? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. 907-550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Mr. Kemp, before the break, you were talking about having the children bring their families and how parents usually definitely would want to try something before their kids, but we have this unique opportunity to have the kids leading the adults. As educators, are you talking to your students about the COVID vaccine in the classroom in the hopes that perhaps they will go home and talk to their parents? Uh, I, I do. Uh, you know, when the kids understand. I, you know, people underestimate uh, the understanding that kids have about certain issues. You know, what, what was it? Uh, Psalms 8-2, out of the mouth of babes. You know, <laughs> the truth shall come. And so... Uh, they know, and so just listen to your kids, uh, and they'll be—they will be understanding. I talk to them about masking. Like, do you know why it's important to wear a mask? They know. They say yes because, um, you know, I want to protect. You know, my mom, my dad. I want to protect my friend right here. You know, I want to protect little Joey. You know, to make sure that they're not sick, and so they—they—they they, they get it. It's a lot of the parents. They. <laughs> they they want to uh, they don't they don't get it um, but not not most parents just that fringe. We adults are always more difficult, you know. We we like to mull things yes, over well, and weigh mm-hmm. all the sides. So that's what makes you know us so great that we can do that. Where children can be a little more community minded and community focused, they haven't developed yet that mono focus that we a lot of adults have. Mm-hmm. You know. And yes, we do wear a mask in music class. We just don't use wind instruments. We play a lot of drums. Oh, okay. More percussion. Yeah. <laughs> More percussion. Yes. Well, tell us about um, your initiative that you have, and are you going to be rolling out your initiative by phases? In the first phase, you talked about the families, Ms. Grady-Weish, and, and what do you want these families for? Are they share, How are they sharing their stories? So... They'll be sharing their stories. Um, so, my, you know, my vision will be to have maybe an unvaccinated family 
that will show their journey of going to get vaccinated. Um, we'll have maybe a family like mine vac- was unvaccinated and then vaccinated. Um, there, and, and eventually also within this grant, I want to try to find uh, maybe put together some vaccine clinics. And we will be rolling out, hopefully within the spring, summer area, just because um, we got the grant so late. We do have a time limit where we have to spend it, but maybe we can just set up, you know, all this is extremely new to me. And it's very, it's very interesting and in how, you know, the research of having to find who's going to be able to do the vaccines. Where can we do the vaccines? How can we, you know, there's a lot that is literally going into this project. Um, I thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> and, you know, it's, that's not, it's not, but, but it's coming along and, 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 and that's what's important. So, let me ask you, when you when you talk up. about these vaccine clinics, um, how will they be different than the ones that are already available or the one that the school district came? I would think we need to look at the numbers for how successful the school district's vaccine clinic was to see, was there a downward trend with time and was it more focused on people in, in certain areas to make yours stand out? I don't know if you've gotten that that far into the process. So I haven't, but to answer your question, um, I think there's going to be a lot that's going to go into it that will make us different. Um, One, those that are comfortable with the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC educators may be like, you know what, they're doing it. I trust Roz and Danielle with the information that they're giving us on why, how, listening to their stories, that might be the first part. Listening, I think what will make our vaccine clinics different is them listening to not even just our story, but those other stories of those other families and why they did it. You know, there are a lot of families that live in big homes. I mean, not not big homes, but big families in homes. And so, you know, I I'm, I just look forward to bringing these stories out so that people can hear it because I think we just hear a lot of misinformation. I think we see a lot of misinformation people's judgment when you see your friend like if you got on there online dr julian and you said if you gave your story there's going to be a lot of people that believe in dr julian you know so when people see their friends their families their coworkers, and and then hear them in their language too i think that's going to be very important yeah. um yeah. to the process and and regardless of, you know, the ASD has been doing a great job of, you know, trying to get folks vaccinated. Um, but the numbers, they, they show the proof is that the, the folks in, in our communities, in the Title I schools, are not getting as vaccinated as they should. And so, once again, we're trying to fill that gap. Like I addressed earlier in the show, we're, we're trying to fill that gap. We're doing it a number of ways. We're doing it with the public service announcements, with the videos, with the, the, the radio shots, with um, trying to get those, get the mobile activated. So we're going to go, for instance, like we, if you set out a COVID van out by Betty Davis East, um, you know, you can hit like two or three schools and, and, you know, just having something set up, you know, like in the parking lot out there. Uh, so that's what we're trying to engage with the, the Muni and the ASD with 
um, you know, getting the principals involved as well, spreading the word so that we can get those folks who have been underserved served. So you're going to be reaching out to certain communities with people that look like the members of that community. And that, of course, will make it more credible in in people's eyes when you have someone that you can relate to, you know, as Ms. Grady Weish said. Okay. And do we know how will we measure our outcomes? I guess with the number of increase in the vaccines that are given out would be one. A tracking the tracking system you'll be utilizing. Yes, that would be one way of um, tracking it. Just you know, word of mouth on the street uh, is another uh, engaging success. Uh, so we're kind of th- those are the main two. But um, you know, when others present themselves, we'll be utilizing those as well. Okay. Well, I know that you know some states have offered incentives to vaccinate their community members and I think was it Washington that gave out free marijuana not that I am advocating for that here on public radio I'm just saying that was something (laughs) that was done you know I think another um, state gave money like a lottery type of incentive to people to get that did we we do that and um the 49th lottery or something they were were 49th lottery yes yeah, it was yeah. not. I, so we, work, because of that, I think um, Danielle's thought process when we when we talked about that, it was there's always some gimmick, you know, get a thousand. Because I actually thought about that. People there like things free. Parameters. There's also a lot of parameters on this grant money with what right. we can and cannot do. But I did. I thought. I was like, Danielle, let's do like a scholar scholarship, you know. But he mm-hmm. was like, no. And I'll let you, I'll let him explain it. Why? Yeah. Danielle. I mean, the, only, you know, the, the most effective thing, you know, when you're trying to put like something like this together is try to address pain points. All right. People are more concerned with trying to alleviate pain than to give pleasure or, or to, to, to grab that. Like if I got pain going on, I just want to stop the pain. And so you know, put, putting these lotteries and all this stuff, that's great. But it, we can see across the nation last year, it really didn't work. The only time that people actually got vaccinated in mass numbers is when we started seeing these mandates, like either from the government or from the companies themselves, from American Airlines to Alaska Airlines to uh, whomever, right? Once you said, okay, you need to get vaccinated or else, then you started seeing that. And so that was a pain point that, you know, people started to realize, okay, I just need to do this in order to, you know, avoid this penalty. And so sometimes that's the way you have to go. And and we didn't want to be part of that reinforcing of, um, you know, you know, you know, the, the reward system that was not working. It just wasn't effective as it should have been. Uh, and history has shown that it's not effective. Are there, you know, educators, I'm sure there are actually educators on both sides, some who think that the vaccine should be required and others that think that it shouldn't be required for both students and, and teachers. Have you noticed this? Or are there people that you find on both sides of this? Yes. Interesting. 
Well, I like the idea of going out into the community, engaging those members of the community. Do you find that this, or do you think this is going to help to increase your numbers uh, for the Alaska Coalition of BIPOC Educators? Because with this, you're going to be giving people information on how you can work together in this system. I mean, that'd be great, but our main concern is just making sure that people are taken care of, that our communities, that our kids, are taken care of. So you start with the parents, parents are going to help take care of the kids. Um, that's the kind of trickle down we're looking for. Wink, wink, so. Trickle down. <laughs> right? So, you know, we know that trickle down don't always work, but I think this trickle down will work. Yeah. Very good. Well, our time today is coming to a close, so I want to give you both some time to share your final thoughts. Mr. Kim, do you want to give us your final thoughts today? Uh, yes. Um, I know, for anybody listen, I know that, you know, you may be hesitant. There are folks who, um, for righteous reasons, for rightful reasons, you are hesitant. You have doubts about getting a vaccine. There are folks who uh, have non-righteous reasons. But if you do have righteous reasons, we hear you, we understand you. Just please know that you, you, there has to be a certain level of trust going on if we're going to make our uh, community and our country a better place. Uh, and please, please, please get vaccinated and get boosted. Thank you. Ms. Grady Weish? My final thoughts are, if you have questions, ask. And you should get some really good answers and listen to people's stories. And, you know, let's make a difference. Let's, you know, everybody wants to live normal. Let's live normal. Remember, um, for those that have had children, we're always handed a vaccination sheet and we follow those rules. So let's just let's just get it, get it together. Thank you so much. Our thanks to our guests, Mr. Danielle Kemp and Ms. Rosalind Grady-Weich. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adeline Baxter. You can find more information on this and previous programs on our website at alaskapublic.org. Let us know your thoughts or suggestions by emailing us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. This has been Line 1, Your Health Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Thank you. Line 1 is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line 1 and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.